Richard Riddle, Boy Detective, in The Case of the French Spy, by Kim Newman. 1. Gosh, Dick, said Violet, an ammonite! A chunk of rock, bigger than any of them could have lifted, had broken from the soft cliff and fallen on the shingle. Violet, on her knees, brushed grit and grime from the stone. They were on the beach below Ware Cleave, looking for clues. This was not strictly a fossil-hunting expedition, but Dick knew Violet was mad about terrible lizards, which was what dinosaur meant in Greek, she had explained. On a recent trip to London, Violet had been taken to the prehistoric monster exhibit in Crystal Palace Park. She could not have been more excited if the life-size statues turned out to be live specimens. Paleontology was like being a detective, she enthused, working back from clues to the truth, examining a pile of bones, and guessing what kind of body once wrapped around them. Dick conceded her point, but the dinosaurs died a long, long time ago. No culprit's collar would be felt. Pity. It would be a good mystery to solve, the case of the vanishing lizards. No. The mystery of the disappearing dinosaurs. No. The adventure of the absent ammonites. Coo, said Ernest. What is this, a monster? Ernest liked monsters. Anything with big teeth counted. Not really, Violet admitted. It was a cephalopod. That means head foot. It was a head with only a foot? Ernest liked the idea. Did it hop up behind enemies and sink its fangs into their bleeding necks? It was more like a big shrimp or a squid with a shell. Squid are fairly monstrous, Ernest, said Dick. Some grow giant and crush ships with their tentacles. Ernest made experimental crushing motions with his hands, providing squelching noises with his mouth. Violet ran her fingers over the Ammonite segments. Ammon was the ram-headed god of ancient Egypt. Dick saw Ernest imagining that, an evil god butting unbelievers to death. These are called Ammonites because the many-chambered spiral looks like the horn of a ram. You know, like the big one in Mr. Croissant's field. Ernest went quiet. He liked fanged monsters, giant squids, and evil gods, but had a problem with animals. Once, the children were forced to go a long way round to avoid Mr. Croissant's field. Ernest had come up with many tactical reasons for the detour, and Dick and Violet pretended to be persuaded by his argument that they needed to throw pursuers off their track. The three children were about together all the time this summer. Dick was down from London, staying with Uncle Davy and Aunt Maeve. Both were a bit dotty. Uncle Davy used to paint fairyland scenes for children's books, but was retired from that and drawing only to please himself. Last year, Violet showed up at Seaview Chase unannounced, having learned it was David Harville's house. She liked his illustrations, but genuinely liked the pictures in his studio even more. Violet had taken an interest in Dick's detective work. She had showed him around Lyme Regis and the surrounding beaches and countryside. She wasn't like a proper girl, so it was all right being friends with her. Normally, Dick couldn't admit to having a girl as a friend. In summer, it, it was different. Ernest was Violet's cousin, two years younger than her and Dick. Ernest's father was in Africa fighting boars, so he was with Violet's parents for the school holidays. They were the Richard Riddle Detective Agency. Their goal? To find mysteries, then solve them. Thus far, they had handled the matter of the mysterious maidservant, meeting the butcher's boy, though she was supposed to have a sweetheart at sea, the curious affair of the derelict dinghy, Alderman Hook was lying asleep in it, empty beer bottles rolling around his feet, and the puzzle of the purloined pasties, still an open case, though suspicion inevitably fell upon Tarquin Tiger Bristow. Ernest had reasoned out his place in the firm. When Dick pointed the finger of guilt at the villain, Ernest would thump the miscreant about the head until the official police arrived. 
Violet, Ernest said, could make tea and listen to Dick explain his chain of deduction. Ernest, Violet commented acidly, was a dependable strong-arm man, unless the criminal owned his sheep or threatened to make him eat parsnips or, as was depressingly likely, turned out to be Tiger Bristow, the Bismarck of bullies, and returned Ernest's head-thumping with interest. Then, Dick had to negotiate a peace, like between Americans and Red Indians to avoid bloodshed. When Violet broke off the reservation, people got scalped. It was a sunny August afternoon, but strong salt wind blew off the sea. Violet had tied back her hair to keep it out of her face. Dick looked up at Ware Cleave. It was thickly wooded, roots poking out of the cliff face like the fingers of buried men. The tower of Oris Priory rose above the treetops like a periscope. Clues led to Oris Priory. Dick suspected smugglers. Or spies. Granny Ball, who kept the pasty stall near the cob, had warned the detectives to stay away from the shingle under the cleave. It was a haunt of sea ghosts. The angry souls of shipwrecked sailors, half-fish folk from sunken cities, and other monsters of the deep, Ernest liked this bit, were given to creeping onto the beach, clawing away at the stone, crumbling it piece by piece. One day, the cleave would collapse. Violet wanted to know why the sea ghosts would do such a thing. The landslide would only make another cliff further inland. Granny winked and said, Never you mind, lass, in a highly unsatisfactory manner. Before her crave for terrible lizards, Violet had been passionate about myths and legends. It was why she liked Uncle Davy's pictures. She said myths were expressions of common truth dressed up to make a point. The shingle beach was dangerous because rocks fell on it. People in the long ago must have been hit on the head and killed, so the sea ghost story was invented to keep children away from danger. It was like a beware-the-dog sign, Ernest didn't like this bit, but out of date, as if you had an old, non-fierce hound, but put up a beware-of-dangerous-dog sign anyway. Being on the shingle wasn't really dangerous. The cliffs wouldn't fall, and the sea ghosts wouldn't come. Dick liked Violet's reasoning, but saw better. No, Vile, it's been kept up, this story. Granny and other folk round here tell the tale to keep us away, because someone doesn't want us to see what they're about. "'Smugglers,' said Ernest. Dick nodded. "'Or spies. Not enough clues to be certain. But mark my word, there's wrongdoing afoot on the shingle, and it's our job to root it out.' It was too blowy to go out in Violet's little boat, the SS Pterodactyl, so they had come on foot. And found the Ammonite. Since the fossil wasn't about to hop to life and attack, Ernest lost interest and wandered off down by the water. He was looking for monster tracks, the tentacle trails of a giant squid, most likely.' This might be the largest ammonite ever found here, said Violet. If it's a new species, I get to name it. Dick wondered how to get the fossil to Violet's house. It would be a tricky endeavor. You, children, what are you about? Men had appeared on the beach without Dick noticing. If they had come from either direction along the shore, he should have seen them. You shouldn't be here. Come away from that evil thing. At once. Now. The speaker was an old man with white hair, pince-nez on a black ribbon, an expression like someone who's just bit into a cooking apple by mistake, and a white collar like a clergyman's. He wore an old-fashioned coat with a thick raised collar cut away from tight breeches and heavy boots. Dick recognized the Reverend Mr. Selwood of Orris Priory. With him were two bare-armed fellows in leather jerkins and corduroy trousers. Whereas Selwood carried a stick, they toted sledgehammers, like the ones convicts use on Dartmoor. Foul excrescence of the devil, said Selwood, pointing a stick at Violet's ammonite. Brother Fos, Brother Fessel, do the Lord's work. Fos and Fessel raised their hammers. 
Violet leaned over as if protecting a pet lamb from Slaughterman. Out of the way, foolish girl. It's mine, she said. It's nobody's and no good to anybody. It must be smashed. God would wish it. But this find is important. To science. Selwood looked as if that bite of cooker was in his throat, making his eyes water. Science. Bah. Stuff and nonsense. Devil's charm, my girl. That's what this is. It was alive millions of millions of years ago. The earth is less than 6,000 years old, child, as you would know if you read your scriptures. Violet, angry, stood up to argue. But that's not true. There's proof. This is... Foes and Fessel took their opportunity and brought the hammers down. The fossil split. Sharp chips flew. Violet, appalled, hands in tiny fists, mouth open, didn't notice her shin bleeding. You can't! These so-called proofs, stone bones and long-dead dragons, said Selwood, are the devil's trickeries. The brethren smashed the ammonite to shards and powder. This was put here to full weak minds, lectured the reverend. It is the church's militant sacred work to destroy such obscenities, lest more be tempted to blasphemy. This is not science. This is sacrilege. It was mine, Violet said quietly. I have saved you from error. You should thank me. Ernest came over to see what the noise was about. Selwood bestowed a smile on the lad that afforded a glimpse of terrifying teeth. Teeth on monsters were fine with Ernest. Teeth like Selwood's would give him nightmares. Job well done, said the reverend. Let us look further. More infernal things may have sprung up. Brother Fos leaned over... Brother Foes leered at Violet and patted her on the head which made her flinch. Brother Fessel looked stern disapproval at his familiarity. They followed Selwood, swinging hammers, scouting for something to break to bits. Dick had an idea they'd rather be pounding on something that squealed and bled than something so long dead it had turned to stone. Violet wasn't crying, but she was hating. More than before, Dick was convinced Selwood was behind some vile endeavor. He had the look of a smuggler or a spy. Richard Riddle, boy detective, would bring the villain to book. 2. Uncle Davy had let Dick set up the office of the Richard Riddle Detective Agency in a small room under the eaves. A gable window led to a small balcony that looked like a ship's crow's nest. Seaview Chase was a large, complicated house on Black Ven, a jagged rise above Lime Bay, an ideal vantage point for surveying the town and the sea. Dick had installed his equipment, a microscope, boxes and folders, reference books, his collection of clues and trophies. Violet had donated some small fossils and her hammers and trowels. Ernest wanted space on the wall for the head of their first murderer. He had an idea that when a murderer was hanged, the police gave the head as a souvenir to the detective who caught him. The evening after the fossil smashing incident, Dick sat in the office and opened a new file and wrote, Quirs nudipus ja quirs dugjibus on a fresh sheet of paper. It was the RRDA special cipher for the case of the Ammonite Annihilator. After breakfast the next day, the follow-up investigation began. Dick went into the airy studio on the first floor and asked Uncle Davy what he knew about Selwood. Grim visage, said Uncle Davy, pulling a face. Dresses as if it were fifty years ago? Of him I know, to be frank, not much. He once called with a presentation copy of some verminous volume printed at his own expense. I think he wanted me to find a proper publisher. Put on a scary smile to ingratiate. Maeve didn't like him. He hasn't been back. Book's around somewhere, probably. Must chuck it one day. It'll be in one of those piles. He stabbed a paintbrush towards the stacks which grew against one wall and went back to painting. 
a ship at sea. Only there were eyes in the sea if you looked close enough, and faces in the clouds and the folds of sailcloth. Uncle Davy liked hiding things. When Violet and Ernest arrived, they set to searching book piles. It took a long time. Violet kept getting interested in irrelevant findings, mostly titles about pixies and fairies and curses. Selwood's book had migrated to near the bottom of an especially towering pile. Extracting it brought about a bad tumble that alerted Aunt Maeve, who rushed in, assuming the whole of Black Ven was giving way and the house would soon be crashing into Lime Bay. Uncle Davy cheerfully kicked the spill of volumes into a corner and said he'd sort them out one day, then noticed a wave suitable for hiding an eye in and forgot about the children. Aunt Maeve went off to get warm milk with drops of something from Cook. In the office, the detectives pored over their find for clues. Omphalos Diabolicus, or The Hoax of Prehistory, intoned Dick, by the Reverend Daniel Sturdivant Selwood, published 1897, Oris Press, Dorset. Uncle Davy said he paid for the printing, so I deduce that he is the sole proprietor of this phantom publisher. Aha! The pages have not been cut after the first chapter, so I further deduce that it must be deadly dull stuff. He tossed the book to Violet, who got to work with a long knife, slitting the leaves as if they were the author's throat. Then she flicked through pages, pausing only to report relevant facts. One of her talents was gutting books, discovering the few useful pages like a prospector panning gold dust out of river dirt. Daniel Selwood wasn't a proper clergyman anymore. He had been booted out of the Church of England after shouting that the bishop should burn Mr. Darwin along with his published works. Now, Selwood had his own sect, the Church Militant, but most of his congregation were paid servants. Selwood came from a wealthy Dorset family, rich from trade and shipping, and had been packed off to Parson School because an older brother, George, was supposed to inherit the fortune. Only the brother was lost at sea, along with his wife Rebecca and little daughter Ruth, and Daniel's expectations increased. The sinking of the Sophie Briggs was a famous maritime mystery like the Mary Celeste and Captain Nemo. Thirty years ago, the pride of the Oris Selwood line went down in calm seas with all hands lost. Selwood skipped over the loss in a sentence, then spent pages talking up the divine revelation, which convinced him to found a church rather than keep up the business. According to Violet, a lot of folk around Lyme resented being thrown out of work when Selwood dismantled his shipping concern and dedicated the family fortune to preaching anti-Darwinism. What's, what's an Amphalo thing? asked Ernest. The title means the devil's belly button, said Violet, which made Ernest giggle. He's put Greek and Latin words together, which is poor classics. Apart from his stupid ideas, he's a terrible writer. Listen, all the multitudinarious flora and fauna of divine creation constitute veritable evidence of the proof of the pellucid and undiluted accuracy of the word of God Almighty unchallenged, as set down in the shining, burning, shimmering sentences, chapters, and indeed books of the Old and New Testaments, here and after known to all righteous and right-thinking men as the Holy Bible of Glorious God. It's as if he's saying, this is the true truthiest, truest truth of truthdom ever told truly by truth trusters. How do the belly buttons come into it? asked Dick. Adam and Eve were supposed to have been created with navels, though, since they weren't born like other people, they oughtn't to have them. This was over Ernest's head, but Dick knew how babies came and that his navel was a knot where a cord had been cut and tied. To Selwood's way of thinking, just as Adam and Eve were created to seem as if they had normal parents, the earth was created as if it had a prehistory, with geological and fossil evidence in place to make the planet appear much older than it says in the Bible. Well, that's silly, said Ernest. 
Don't tell me. Tell Selwood, said Violet. He's a silly, stupid man. He doesn't want to know the truth, or anyone else to either, so he breaks fossils and shouts down lecturers. His theory isn't even original. A man named Gossa wrote a book with the same idea, though Gossa claimed God buried fossils to fool people, while Selwood says it was the devil. Violet was quite annoyed. I think it's an excuse to go around bullying people, said Dick, a cover for his real sinister purpose. If you ask me, what he does is sinister enough by itself. Nobody did ask you, said Ernest, which he always said when someone was unwise enough to preface a statement with, if you ask me. Violet stuck her tongue out at him. Dick was thinking. It's likely that the Selwood family were smugglers, he said. Violet agreed. Smugglers had to have ships and pretend to be respectable merchants. In the old days, they were all at it. You know the poem. Violet stood up, put a hand on her chest, and recited dramatically. If you wake at midnight and hear a horse's feet, don't go drawing black the blind or looking in the street. Them that ask no questions isn't told a lie. Watch the wall, my darling, while the gentlemen go by. Five and twenty ponies trotting through the dark, brandy for the parson, backy for the clerk. Laces for a lady, letters for a spy, and watch the wall, my darling, while the gentlemen go by. She waited for applause, which didn't come. But her recitation was useful. Dick had been thinking in terms of spies or smugglers, but the poem reminded him that the breeds were interdependent. It struck him that Selwood might be a smuggler of spies, or a spy for smugglers. I'll wager Tiger Bristow is in this, too, he said, snapping his fingers. Ernest shivered audibly. Is it spying or smuggling? he asked. It's both, Dick replied. Violet sat down again and chewed on a long, stray strand of hair. Tell Dick about the French spy, suggested Ernest. Dick was intrigued. That was a long time ago, a hundred years, she said. It's a local legend, not evidence. You yourself said legends always shroud some truth, declared Dick. We must consider all the facts, even rumors of facts, before forming a conclusion. Violet shrugged. It is about Selwood's house, I suppose. Dick was astonished. And you didn't think it was relevant? Sometimes I'm astonished by your lack of perspicacity. Violet looked incipiently upset at his tone, and Dick wondered if he wasn't going too far. He needed her in the agency, but she could be maddening at times. Like a real girl. Out with it, Vile, he barked. Violet crossed her arms and kept quiet. I apologize for my tactlessness, said Dick, but this is vitally important. We might be able to put that ammonite abuser out of business with immeasurable benefit to science. Violet melted. Very well. I heard this from Alderman Hook's father. Before her paleontology craze, Violet fancied herself a collector of folklore. She had gone around asking old people to tell stories or sing songs or remember why things were called what they were called. She was going to write them all up in a book of local legends and had wanted Uncle Davy to draw the dinosaurs. She was still working on her book, but it was about dinosaurs in Dorset now. I didn't make much of it because it wasn't much of a legend, just a scrap of history. With a spy, prompted Ernest, a spy who came out of the sea. Violet nodded. That's more or less it. When England was at war with France, everybody thought Napoleon... Bony! put in Ernest, making fang fingers at the corners of his mouth. Yes, bony. Everyone thought he was going to invade, like William the Conqueror. Along the coast, people watched the seas. Signal fires were prepared, like with the Spanish Armada. Most thought it likely the French would strike at Dover, but round here they tapped the sides of their noses. Violet imitated an old person tapping her long nose and said the last army to invade Britain had landed at Lyme, and the next would, too. The last army was Monmouth's during his rebellion. 
He landed at the Cobb and marched up to Sedgemore, where he was defeated. There are lots of legends about the Duke of Monmouth. Dick made a get-to-the-point gesture. Any rate, near the end of the 18th century, a man named Jacob Orris formed a vigilance patrol to keep watch on the beaches. Orris's daughter married a sea captain called Lud Selwood. They begat Drowned George and Old Devil's Belly Button. Come to think, Orris's patrol was like Selwood's church militant, an excuse to shout at folks and break things. Orris started a campaign to get French beans, renamed Free from Tyranny Beans, and had his men attack grocer's stalls when no one agreed with him. Orris was expecting a fleet to heave to in Lime Bay and land an army, but new spies would be put ashore first to scout around. One night, during a terrible storm, Orris caught a spy flung up on the shingle. And? Well, that's it, really. I expect they hit him with hammers and killed him, but if anyone really knows, they aren't saying. Dick was disappointed. Tell him how it was a special spy, said Ernest. Dick was intrigued again, especially since Violet obviously didn't want to say more. He was a sea ghost, announced Ernest. Old Hook said the spy had walked across the channel, admitted Violet, on the bottom of the sea in a special diving suit. He was a Frenchman, but, and you have to remember, stories get twisted over the years, he had gills sewn into his neck so he could breathe underwater. As far as anyone knew round here, all Corsicans were like that. They said it was probably Boney's cousin. And they killed him? Violet shrugged. I expect so. And kept him pickled, said Ernest. Now that isn't true. One version of the story is that Oris had the dead spy stuffed, then hidden away, but the family would have found the thing and thrown it out by now, and we'd know whether it was a man or, as Granny Ball says, a trained seal. Stories are like limpets on rocks. They stick on and get thicker until you can't see what was there in the first place. Dick whistled. I don't see how this can have anything to do with what Selwood is about now, said Violet. This may not have happened, and if it did, it was a hundred years ago. Selwood wasn't even born then. His parents were still children. My dear Vile, a century-old mystery is still a mystery, and crime can seep into a family like water in the foundations passed down from father to son. Father to daughter to son, in this case. I haven't forgotten that. This mystery goes deep. It's all about the past. And haven't you said that a century is just a heartbeat in the long life of the planet? She was coming round, he saw. We have to get in to Oris Priory, said Dick. 3. Why are we on the shingle? asked Ernest. The Priory is up there on top of the cleave. Dick had been waiting for the question. Deductions impressed more if he didn't just come out with cleverness, but waited for a prompt. Remember yesterday? Selwood seemed to turn up suddenly with foes and fessel. If they'd been walking on the beach, we'd have seen them ages before they arrived, but we didn't. Therefore, there must be a secret way, a smuggler's tunnel. Violet found some pieces of the fossil. She looked towards the cliff. We were facing out to sea, and they came from behind, she said. She tossed her ammonite shard, which rebounded off the soft rock face. The cliff was too crumbly for caves that might conceal a tunnel. The children began looking closely, hoping for a hidden door. After a half hour, Ernest complained that he was hungry. After an hour, Violet complained that she was fed up with rocks. Dick stuck to it. If it was easy to find, it wouldn't be hidden, he kept saying. Ernest began to make helpful suggestions that didn't help, but needed to be argued with. Maybe they came up under the sea and swam ashore. They weren't wet, and we would have seen them, countered Dick. Maybe they've got invisible diving suits that don't show wetness? Those haven't been invented yet. Maybe they've invented them but kept it quiet. 
It's not likely, but not impossible. And you always say that when you've eliminated the impossible, actually, Ernest, it is impossible. Prove it. The only way to prove something impossible is to devote your entire life to trying to achieve it and the lives of everyone to infinity throughout eternity, then not succeed. Well, get started, and that's impractical. Dick knew he was shouting, but when Ernest got into one of these maybe moods, which he called his clever spells, everyone got a headache and usually wound up giving in and agreeing with something they knew to be absurd just to make Ernest shut up. After that, he would be hard to live with for the rest of the day, puffed up like a toad with a smugness that Violet labeled very unattractive, which prompted him to snipe that he didn't want to attract anyone like her, and her to counter that he would change his mind in a few years, and him to... Well, it was a cycle that Dick had lived through too often. Then, Violet found a hinge. Two, in fact. Dick got out his magnifying glass and examined the hinges. Recently oiled, he noted. Where there were hinges, there must be a door. Hidden. Where's the handle? asked Ernest. Inside, said Violet. What's the use of a door if it only opens from one side? It'd keep out detectives, like us, suggested Violet. There was no open door when Selwood was here, observed Dick. It closed behind him. He'd want to open it again rather than go home the long way. He had two big strong men with hammers, said Violet, and we've got you and Ernest. Dick tried to be patient. He stuck his fingers into a crack in the rock and worked down, hoping to get enough purchase to pull the probable door open. Careful, said Violet. Maybe... Shut up, Ernest, said Dick. He found his hand stuck, but pulled free, scraping his knuckles. There was an outcrop by the sticking point at about the height where you'd put a door handle. Aha, said Dick, seizing and turning the rock. A click and a section of the cliff pulled open. It was surprisingly light, a thin layer of stone fixed to a wooden frame. A section of rock fell off the door. You've broken it now, said Ernest. It was dark inside. From his coat of many hidden pockets, Dick produced three candle stubs with metal holders and a box of matches. For his next birthday, he hoped to get one of the new battery-powered electrical lanterns. Until then, these would remain RRDA standard issue. Getting the candles lit was a performance. The draft kept puffing out match flames before the wicks caught. Violet took over and mumsily arranged everything, then handed out the candles, showing Ernest how to hold his so wax didn't drip on his fingers. "'Metal's hot,' said Ernest. "'Perhaps we should leave you here as lookout,' said Dick. "'You can warn us in case any dogs come along.' The metal apparently wasn't too hot, since Ernest now wanted to continue. He insisted on being first into the dark, in case there were monsters. Once they were inside, the door swung shut. They were in a space carved out of the rock and shored up with timber. Empty barrels piled nearby, a row of fossil-smashing hammers arranged where Violet could spit at them. Smooth steps led upwards with the rusted remains of rings set into the walls on either side. "'Brandy for the parson, backy for the clerk,' said Violet. "'Indubitably,' responded Dick. "'This is clear evidence of smuggling.' "'What do people smuggle these days?' asked Violet. "'Brandy and tobacco might have been expensive when we were at war with France, and ships were slow.' But that was ages ago. Dick was caught out. He knew there was still contraband, but hadn't looked into its nature. Jewels, probably, he guessed, and there's always spying. Ernest considered the rings in the wall. I bet prisoners were chained here, he said, until they turned to skeletons. More likely, people hold the rings while climbing the slippery stairs, suggested Violet, especially if they're carrying heavy cases of jewels and spy letters. 
Ernest was disappointed. But they could be used for prisoners. Ernest cheered up. If I was a prisoner, I could skate, he said. He put his hand in a ring, which was much too big for him and for any grown-up, too. Then he pulled, and the ring came out of the wall. Ernest tried to put it back. Dick was tense, expecting tons of rock to fall on them. No collapse happened. Be careful touching things, he warned his friends. We were lucky that time, but there might be deadly traps. He led the way up.